This is a production of the Z Talk Radio Network. The views expressed and opinions given by the individual hosts and their guests do not necessarily reflect those of Z Talk Radio, its affiliates, or sponsors. Wow. It's dark. Well, let's have some light on the subject. Put on your critical thinking caps and please refrain from hugging. It's time for Dimland Radio with your host, Jim Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Hello and welcome to Dimland Radio here on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Uh, remember, I'm not really a doctor. I just play Doctor Online, and it's the uh, the first show uh, in December of 2020, which means uh, can only mean one thing. I have to uh, start my war on Christmas. Yes, the Dimland Radio's war on Christmas. I need to wage this war again, and I've thought about how am I going to wage the war this year. What am I going to do? And I'm trying something maybe a little strange. But it's definitely underhanded. <laughs> you see, you know how there's been this debate about whether or not the movie Die Hard is a Christmas movie. I've talked about it before on the show. I've had I've been sort of on both sides of the argument. Uh, sometimes I say, well, yeah, it's it. Okay, I can see it being a Christmas movie because the holiday has something to do with the storyline. Maybe okay, all right. But but uh. Uh-uh. Now, this year, this year, I've decided I'm going to do something else for my war on Christmas. Uh, I've come up with a, uh, with a, a Dimland Radio law. <laughs> this isn't just a rule. This is a law, dang it. And it has to do with movies and Christmas and all that. So, <clears throat> the law is this. Any movie with any reference... No matter how brief, obscure, or tangential it may be, the reference that is, that reference makes it a Christmas movie. That's right. Any movie that has anything that could be construed as having something or anything at all to do with Christmas, no matter how briefly it shows up in the movie, makes it a Christmas movie. That's it. That's it. Yeah, that's that's right. You heard me. That's how it goes. So, uh, so Die Hard 2, well, that's a Christmas movie. It's got Christmas in it. You know, bigger than some other movies that, that have Christmas in them. You know, but that's, it's oh, Die Hard 2 Christmas movie. Okay? Christmas movie. Stalag 17, the World War II film... Uh, about uh, uh, American POWs in a ger- German prisoner of war camp, right? Well, they have a little celebration in there for Christmas. That's a Christmas movie. It's a Christmas movie. Uh, the Harry Potter movies. Harry Potter movies. Now, it would be, let's see, it would be The Sorcerer's Stone, Chamber of Secrets, Goblet of Fire, Order of the Phoenix, and The Deathly Hallows Part 1. Those are all Christmas movies because 
I, as far as I can remember, they all have some Christmas thing in it. They have something to do with Christmas in there. You know, uh, like like you know, there's you know Harry gets a Christmas present in the first movie, which is something that's really never happened for him, and he gets the invisible cloak thing, and then or the cloak of invisibility. Let's get it said right. And then there's there's other Christmas stuff like uh, um, um, in the Deathly Hallows Part One, uh, they show up at Godric's Hollow, and uh, Hermione says to uh, to, to uh, Harry, she says, uh, I think it's I think it's Christmas. Huh? Right there. Christmas. Christmas. Uh, the, the, the Goblet of Fire, they had the Yule Ball. Well, Yule's Christmas, so it's a Christmas. Those movies are Christmas movies. All right? Okay? Christmas movies. And then there's, let's see, The French Connection. Right. The French Connection. The character, Popeye Doyle, played by uh, Gene Hackman. You know, it's a cop. He's doing some undercover type thing. He's dressed up as Santa Claus. Christmas movie right there. French Connection. Christmas movie. And then I thought, you know what? I could expand it. You know, there are movies that have pine trees in them. Well, what are Christmas trees made of? They're made of pine trees. I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure, at the beginning of, of The Silence of the Lambs, when, when, when we see Clarice Starling, you know, Jodie Foster's character, running through the obstacle course at the Quantico, uh, learning how to be an FBI person, I, I'm pretty sure there's some pine trees in there. So, Silence of the Lambs, Christmas movie. Um, what else? Snow. If there's any snow in a movie, because in the Northern Hemisphere, anyway, there's snow at Christmas. At least, you know, in most of the North, Northern Hemisphere, or at least the best, the good parts of the Northern Hemisphere, there's snow. There's snow for Christmas. Okay, snow for Christmas. Let's see. The, the, uh, John Carpenter's The Thing. There's snow in that movie. Lots of snow. Sure, that's in the Southern Hemisphere, I know. But still, it's snow. Snow, Christmas. It's a Christmas movie. And here's my thinking. Doing something like this makes just about every movie a Christmas movie. Huh? So then the Christmas movies aren't so special. Right? See? Huh? My war on Christmas. Well, obviously, I'm kidding. I like Christmas. I'm an atheist. I don't believe in the reason for the season, but I still like Christmas. I enjoy, well, this year at the pandemic, we're not getting together as family, you know, extended family. We here in the in my household here, you know, Amy and Hayden and I will, and the cat, will have some Christmas celebration and such. And because Amy's got a job, we might be able to actually afford a few more gifts for each other than we've been able to do before. So, you know, it could be a Merry Christmas here. I enjoy it. It's what's what's wrong with that? You don't you know, it's 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 a holiday that was that was usurped by the, the by the Catholic Church, I think, by, by by Christians in order to bring pagans into the fold at least to help them say, "Hey, hey, we celebrate this winter solstice too." Uh, oh, and while we're celebrating, there's this baby. You know, and here's another thing. Christmas wasn't celebrated as a big deal. For a long, long time, it's 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 a fairly recent in human history, uh, a celebration thing. Fairly recent, um, and then there are still some sects sects of Christianity that uh, frown on celebrating Christmas. So hey, you know they're having a war on it too. So there you go. <clears throat> Speaking of Christmas. Um, you know, it's the COVID season. This pandemic is still with us. It's getting worse. Please, people, stay home for Christmas. Don't, don't, don't go visit Grandma. 
I know I talked about it last week, and I'm probably going to mention it again, but just don't. You know, it's, you know, and when you do go out, wear a mask. Try, you know, and, and try to keep your distance. Wash your hands. Do, you know, personal hygiene to, to help wash the germs off your hands. It, it just, just do these things. Do these things to help bring down these numbers because it's getting crazy here in the United States. And the next few weeks, months, could be really terrible. But if, as President-elect Joe Biden says, you know, he says, 100 days, you know, his first 100 days, if we wear masks for 100 days, we'll see. We'll see improvements in the numbers. We'll see the rates go down. We'll, you know, it, if we can get people on board, we've got to do it. I know it's tiring. I, I, I know masks can be uncomfortable, although they really don't bother me. As long as I get it figured out where my glasses don't fog up, I can wear a mask all day. It doesn't bother me at all. So um, as long as my glasses aren't fogging up, and I've worked out ways. I have two different styles of glasses that I wear, you know, depending on my mood. And, um, you know, I've worked it off with both of them where I can wear a mask and it doesn't fog up my glasses. It's just, then that's cool. So that's something you can do. But, you know, limit your going out and all that kind of stuff. But COVID is, COVID anxiety is, 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 is working its way into my subconscious. It's working its way into my dreaming brain. I've had at least, I think about this time, I think almost uh, a half a dozen dreams where it's obvious a COVID anxiety dream. And they all, and I know there's a rule on Dimland Radio to not tell people your dreams. You don't tell people what you dream, what you dream at night. You don't tell them about it. That's rule number one. You just don't. And rule number two, if you're going to tell somebody about your dreams, keep it short. Don't go into endless detail. Just keep it to the most interesting aspect of the dream, if you can. So here's the most interesting aspects of these COVID anxiety dreams that I've been having. And it's it, they're, they're all variations on the same theme. It's just like a different setting. I might be in a restaurant. I might be uh, uh, at a bar. I might be uh, at, a, at a park. You know, like uh, one of the dreams has me outside in a park that's by a nearby lake, Lake Phelan. There's like a recreational area. And I'm there. And the place, uh, any of these places that I'm in in, in this dream, my COVID anxiety dreams, any place that I'm in, it's just crammed with people, crowded with people, and none of them are wearing masks. And then I realize that I'm not wearing a mask. And I start to freak out. Like, I, 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 well, why are we wearing masks? Why aren't you people wearing masks? Sometimes I've got family members in there. I th one dream, I was next to my father, and I was like, Dad, why aren't, you, why aren't we wearing masks? And my hands are sh were shaking in that one, just tapping on the table. I was just so freaked out. And and, and and in this the dream that I had uh, in the park where I'm outside and I can't get away from these people. I just I, I it morphed into one of my flying dreams. And my flying dreams are generally enjoyable dreams. And in my flying dreams, I don't I don't fly like Superman. I have a different I, I fly like 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 I'm like I'm jogging. My legs are churning, and I and I you know and as I do more, I go up higher, and I kind of float around, and I that's that's sort of my flying dreams. It's more like floating in the air, but I'm doing a, a running kind of motion. And so this dream I'm at the park, I start to fly, 
I can get away by flying. So I get away by flying, but then I'm up in the air, and I am surrounded, completely surrounded by power lines. And I think that's just an extension of the, of the, uh, of nobody's wearing a mask, and I got to get away. And now I'm, I'm up here in the air where I'm getting away from everybody with the mask, but I can't get away from these power lines, and I don't want to, you know, hit some power lines because you could get zapped or something. So this, this is, this, that's, that's what it's doing. I don't know if it's doing it to you. If you're having the same kind of anxiety dreams, <laughs> but I've had, like I said, about half a dozen of them. I think at least five that that I can think of. So hopefully, I didn't violate my rule too much. But I will talk about my flying dreams a little bit here. Um, something that I I noticed the other day. Now um, I got together with the uh, with the other members of the Gooch Squad. The, get, uh, the gang of occasional co-hosts that uh, we, we show up to um, participate in a podcast that my friend Douglas produces. It's called The Assault of the Two-Headed Space Meals. I've spoken about this show before on this program. And we just recently, just this past Sunday, uh, the, uh, the five of us got together to do a, a holiday podcast, a special holiday podcast, uh, mainly Christmas but, you know, we, we, we got together to do one, and uh, Douglas wanted us all to come up with with three of our favorite, at least from when we were kids, our favorite holiday specials that would be on television. No holiday movies, holiday specials. And then he expanded it a little bit to say we could also include uh, any television series that would have a Christmas or a holiday episode. And so we could, you know, we could include that. So the five of us got together and we did our our thing. You know, we get, did a little, you know, tried to be a little humorous with it. We brought up, uh, you know, if you, I'll link to it in the show notes. Um, some of the sound levels of the clips are a little louder than the than the than us talking. So um, when um, when Brian talks about the Star Wars holiday special, um, brace yourself because when the sound clip comes on. <laughs> <laughs> It'll kind of hit you hard, but uh, if you, especially if you're listening with headphones. But anyway, um, and so I talked about uh, a Rankin and Bass uh, holiday special, which Rankin and Bass had a bunch of stuff back in the late '60s, '60s and through the '70s. They had lots of stuff, uh, Christmas specials and other kinds of specials. And um, this, the one that I picked as a favorite from when I was a kid was that Santa Claus is coming to town. And, and not to give away everything I talk about in the show, I, I particularly liked the, 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 the art choices made in that. It's, it's some, it, I think it's kind of subtle, which I didn't notice when I was a kid, but I just watched the show again uh, a few days ago, just a couple of days before we got together to do our, our, our uh, uh, podcast recording. And uh, I noticed that there's this town where you know toys have been outlawed by the Burgermeister Meisterburger, and uh, the town is called Somber Town, and it looks somber. It's all gray. Everything's gray. Everything's just just dingy looking. Even the clothes everybody wears, the the, the look of the people, their hair is all just kind of variations of gray. And uh, one of the townspeople, the uh, teacher, uh, Miss Jessica. She has a little bit of color to her, but her dress is gray, and her hair is strawberry blonde, but it's kind of pale, 
and and her and her skin is pale. You know, it's just but you know, but as she progresses through the episode and becomes more of an ally to Chris Kringle, who's Santa Claus, uh, as she becomes more of an ally to him, she becomes more colorful. Her dress becomes a bright blue. Uh, and with a yellow ribbon, her 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 uh, her red hair becomes more ginger, more you know, rich in color. Her skin tone becomes uh, uh, warmer. It's you just it, it's a subtle thing that happens. You think, oh yeah, her dress is blue now, and I thought that was cool. I thought it was a cool thing that they did. So, but there's other stuff we talk about uh, on the, of, of that show. Uh, but there's something, and I wanted to relate this to my flying dreams. Now, you remember how I said, I don't soar like Superman. It's not that arms out and swooping and all that kind of stuff. It's not like that. I, I just kind of lift it up off the air. Like I jump into the air and I just kind of, my legs kind of kick and I run. And I just kind of go up and up and up and I just float around a little bit. And that's that's how I fly in my dreams. And when I was watching this the other night, uh, one of the, the there's a few songs in the movie, and there's the one song called uh, "Put One Foot in Front of the Other," which is my favorite song in the movie, uh, or the special, I should say. And uh, and and as I was watching that, there's a point in there where Chris Kringle, young Chris Kringle, whose voice is done by uh, Mickey Rooney, he he jumps up in the air and he's kind of floating in the air, flying, floating, and he's kicking his legs like he's running, and and. And you know it's done in that stop motion animation style that they, that Rankin Bass used an awful lot, and and I thought I watched that and went is is you know because the the special came out in 1970, uh, I turned six I, I I must have been about yeah it was Christmas I would have been six years old when that came out, so uh, I wonder if that that imagery that moment of seeing Chris Kringle doing that kind of flying is what influenced my the, how I fly in my dreams whenever I have one of those flying dreams. I wonder. It's weird how some things can get into into your mind. I mentioned on that podcast about the 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 uh, Charlie Brown uh, Halloween special, even though it was the Christmas stuff, but for uh, for Halloween, uh, and I've said it before on this show, uh, where there's how sometimes these these things when you, you you watch as a kid can just really work into your psyche and become something in, in it just it's a thing in your mind that just is there all the time uh, or at least when certain conditions are just right uh, and a and a fall evening just around dusk twilight you know just 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 dark enough and uh, it, the air is crisp, and there's leaves underfoot, and you, and 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 I'm out walking on an evening like that. I can, I I think in my in my brain I go into that sequence in the Great Pumpkin Charlie Brown special where Snoopy is pretending that he's behind enemy lines. He's been a he was a World War One flying ace, got shot down by the Red Baron, and he's he's behind enemy lines. He's trying to get back to you know friendly territory and and as this that's that sequences uh, go throughout that you know part portion of the special there are sounds in the background you can hear off in the distance train whistles and you can hear the sounds of ammunition shells exploding and when I find myself in that in this in that, in that situation at, at that right time in the evening 
air feels just that crisp fall feel with the leaves around. Uh, I hear, in my, in my mind, I hear the sounds of those train whistles and those, those shells uh, exploding in the distance. It's, it's, you know, it's really cool how some pop culture thing can just work its way into your brain. And then when I saw Chris Kringle flying that way, just for a second or two, I thought, did that work its way into my subconscious? And work it, its way into my dreams? Is that what, is that what causes that? Because I thought, it was, it's weird how I fly in my dreams. I don't know how you fly in your dreams. I'm going to take my first break. You're listening to Dimland Radio on the ZTalk Radio Network. That's at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Uh, Dr. Nymphett Simmons. Boy, I just brought my name. <laughs> and I'll be back shortly. To Z Talk Radio, the number one choice for music, sports, news, and talk radio. So keep that dial locked to ztalkradio.com. Do you believe in ghosts? Do you think Bigfoot is real? Do you suspect that your neighbor is really Valtor, leader of the lizard people of Bendar 3? Well, Dr. Dim doesn't, and he'll tell you why when you tune in to Dimland Radio Saturday nights, 11 Central, midnight Eastern, on Talk Radio Network. It's an hour of science promotion, pop culture rants, personal observation, and, of course, skepticism. Join Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons, Saturday nights, 11 Central, midnight Eastern, for Dimland Radio on Talk Radio Network. He's endlessly pushing the rock of reason up the hill of paranormal. It's Dr. Dim, and you're listening to Dimland Radio on Z-Talk Radio Network. <laughs> We're scaring up a good time on your favorite radio station. You're listening to Z-Talk Radio Network. <laughs> And welcome back to Dimland Radio here on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I am your host, Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Uh, let's see, what have I got next? Oh, hey, hey, sports ballers. Hey, you know, you've I've talked about you guys before on the show. You know, those of you out there who aren't into sports, and not just aren't into sports, you're the ones that likes to, likes to use phrases like sports ball because that way you can, you can dismissively uh, uh, let the world know that you're not into sports. You know, I don't know about that. But what are you? What are you guys watching? Sports ball. You can you can seem ignorant and yet proud of your ignorance and and dismissive of people who like something like sports ball. You know, you guys, you out there, you guys. Now nah, we're all kind of guilty of something like that. 
there's people that are you know into something that I I have no yeah I'm not interested in it at all you know like uh, uh, you know Game of Thrones uh, Game of Thrones I've never seen an episode I know I, I the swords and dragons or something I guess I you know and I know it was really popular Walking Dead the Walking Dead I've never watched an episode of the Walking Dead I I might I might watch both at some point but I've just you know I up until now I've not really been interested. And I fight the urge to be, you know, a zombie baller or a... Oh, boy, that sounds dirty, doesn't it? <laughs> I was watching this movie. I'm going on a tangent here. Hadn't planned on it. There's this movie. Uh, I just watched it uh, earlier this week. Uh, it stars um, Frank Sinatra. It's from 1968. He, he, it's called The Detective, and he plays a police detective. And the movie... Uh, to at least a Frank Sinatra audience, maybe in 1968 it wouldn't be quite as shocking, but to a Frank Sinatra audience, the movie might have had a little bit of shock value to it because of it, it dealt with, uh, with homosexuality. Uh, he was investigating uh, the murder of a, of a gay man, rather brutal murder, uh, which the guy was uh, uh, mutilated. Uh, his privates were mutilated. And so he's investigating that and it's got some people in the movie it's got a couple actors in there like jack klugman who played uh, oscar madison on the television series uh the odd couple and it also has robert duvall uh in an early uh role for him and he plays a uh, somewhat uh what we would think of as the typical cop from 1968 being a homophobe and not very you know not very uh, uh sympathetic Toward uh, toward gay folks, and uh, Sinatra's character, uh, uh, Joe, Joe seems a little progressive for you know for you know, the job he's got, the culture he's in. He, 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 he there's some moments in there where he talks about how you know when his captain tells him that their job is to put the lid on the trash can. Uh, you know, being these 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 uh, slum areas, uh, which yeah, sure, you know, landlords make a lot of money off the slums areas instead of, you know, putting investing money to make life better for these people. But they make a lot of money off of keeping them down, and you know, our job is to keep the lid on the trash can or something like that. And so you know, Joe says, hey, you know, at some point that, that lid's going to blow. I mean, you keep treating people like this. He's a little progressive. And he doesn't particularly care for uh, uh, Duvall's character being a little too violently aggressive with one of the uh, gay fellows that they've they've picked up. Try they're trying to find somebody that matches a description. They they have to get this police sketch that they're showing around. And I thought, you know, interesting. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, it's just it. I, I watched that. Uh, Movie and it's well, you should check it out. It's uh, it's uh, it's called The Detective, and yeah, I'm not sure why I went off on this tangent. Sometimes they don't go anywhere, but it's an interesting movie. It's interesting how the it looks. It's it's like it's trying. It's 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 voicing some things. And I you know I thought to myself while I was watching the movie, uh, they go to a, a, a what would be a Hollywood's version of a gay bar in 1968. And, and they show you know what's going on in there, and and I, I just, you know I just kept saying yeah just let them be who they are, <laughs> you know what's the big deal? <laughs> I just 
I just kept thinking that. So what, what, you, what's the problem? You know, um, Joe, Frank Sinatra's character, he wore a jacket, an overcoat, which is something you'd wear when it's cold, and it gets cold around what time of year? Christmas time. So, you know, the detective, Christmas movie. <clears throat> anyway, <clears throat> so when you are dismissive of, uh, of sports and you do the sports ball thing, uh, I realized something last Sunday. Now those, I'm speaking to you sports ball people who wouldn't know this. In 1933, there was an American football team, professional team, called the Boston Braves. There was also a baseball team known as the Boston Braves. Uh, I believe that team is now the Atlanta Braves, I think. Because with the Boston Braves, they moved to Milwaukee. They were the Milwaukee Braves for a while. Then they moved to Atlanta. So the Atlanta Braves. I believe that's how it went. Anyway, the uh, they the the owners of the of the Boston Braves football team decided that they wanted to have a name change to avoid confusion, and that's where the name Redskins entered the league. It was said to have been a tribute to some coach or something, but his Native American status is debated. But, uh, you know, it just, at the time, well, nobody thought about it because the majority didn't even think that Redskins could be something considered pejorative, could be insulting to our Native American brothers and sisters. You know, they didn't think about it. It was just normal, right? They never gave it a thought. So then in 1937, the Redskins moved from Boston to Washington, D.C. And so our nation's capital, their professional football team, was called the Washington Redskins. Well, in the 70s, the cry started to come up. The you know, Native American folks started saying, hey, we don't like the name. Uh, they were able to get um, the team to change the lyrics to their fight song to remove the, the term scalpum. They were able to do that in 1972. In 1999, a fellow named uh, uh, Daniel Snyder bought the team, uh, and he was a fan from when he was a kid, I guess. And he was able to buy the team when he got older. In 2013, he was interviewed, and he said that the team would never, and he said, put it in all caps, never change the name. But then in, the, then in um, on Memorial Day in 2020, George Floyd, an African-American man, was, uh, was, was murdered by members of the Minneapolis police force. And this led to what I call the second wave of the Black Lives Matter. There was, there was a first initial wave after Ferguson, after what happened there, and other incidents. There was a first wave that got some attention, that got some traction, but not, not quite like that second wave did. That second wave really pull, pushed into the mainstream. The majority in the country started looking at the complaints, what was going on. They saw that video of George Floyd 
and that's that made some fundamental changes in their thinking. We've got to listen here. We've got to hear what these people are saying. We got to pay attention. You know, we've been we've been quiet too long. We've been ignorant too long. Well, the cops never treat me bad. Well, you know, that started to change, and pressure started to be put on organizations like the Washington Redskins. Not only social pressure, but financial pressure. There were, you know, uh, sponsors in that were starting to say, hey, you know, let's change the name. So money talks, right? So um, on July 13th, 2020, the team officially dropped Redskins as the name of the professional football team that plays in Washington, D.C. And then they adopted the temporary name Washington Football Team. So all you sports ball people who enjoyed the irony of saying, yay baseball team, yay basketball team, you can't say yay football team because that is the name of a team. The Washington football team. I was watching a game last week, and it was Washington playing. And every time they'd score a touchdown, I'd go, I'd just start cheering, Yay, football team! Go, football team! Come on, football team! And just The irony has, has washed away because that is the name of the team. Temporary, though it may be, that is the name of the team. So I'm sorry, sports ballers. You don't get the... Uh, Oh, I remember what I was going to say about the detective. Because I said, you know, baller, right? <laughs> um, in the movie, uh, which again, it's kind of progressive and it's kind of shocking, I, I would imagine, to a Frank Sinatra audience. Not only is he dealing with with the you know, with the you know with the queer life style that's going on, the, that that queer world. Not only is he dealing with that. Learning about it, and trying to, and being a—I a, a, won't say a, you know, a champion of them, but he's being a somewhat of an ally, somewhat. He uses a term about having sex. See, he's got this—he's got this wife, or he had this wife. They're separated. She's played by Lee Remick, and she's—and this is also a kind of a, a, a might have been a shocking thing to some. And the audience is 68. And 68 audiences might have been... I think the Midnight Cowboy came out in 1968. Easy Rider. you know. So the audiences might have been getting a little more hip to things. Uh, what what uh, The Graduate was around there. So the shock might not have been quite as deep as if the movie came out in 1958. But here's uh, Lee Remick. She, 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 she becomes his wife. And she uh, loves him, wants to be with him. But she also likes to have sex with other men. And for that, I mean, she just has this need, this want, this desire to just have sex with other, other men. It's not, you know, it's not, you know. And I thought, wow. And so, you know, they're separated. But he still goes back to her here and there. And he comes in, he busts into her. He doesn't bust in her house. He goes in there and he's kind of a head of steam. And she's like, what do you, and he says, I just came here to ball. <laughs> Which is a term for having sex. He wanted to ball. And then when they were done, she said, well, okay, you had your ball. <laughs> or you balled or whatever. She, I, it's a, you know, I, I, think the, I think the most recent 
usage of that term that I've seen or that I remember hearing was in the uh, extended version of uh, Prince's song "Let's Pretend We're Married," where um, you know he gets into the dirty lyrics part of it uh, that usually didn't make the radio, and I think he says "Let's ball." And uh, yeah, I mean I knew what it meant then, but yeah, okay, so <clears throat> that's why I brought up the detective. Oh, uh, what do we got here? What have we got here? I gotta check and see my time. I'm gonna take my break. You're listening to Dimland Radio on ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I am your host, Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Let's make sure I get the right break lined up. Yes, I've got it. Here we go. Uh, I shall return after this break. Let's ball. <laughs> Ew. That's gross. identification you're listening to ztalk radio network operating frequency on ztalkradio.com when oh when will someone design an exploding head emoticon please someone anyone you're listening to dimland radio on ztalk radio network Reasonable is the interview show from the Merseyside Skeptic Society, where each month I speak to someone about their fringe beliefs. Over the years, I've spoken to psychics, UFO believers, moon landing deniers, flat earthers, hollow earthers, and all manner of unusual conspiracy theorists. But I've also talked to AIDS denialists, white supremacists, gay conversion therapists. I even interviewed Jim Humble, the inventor of Miracle Mineral Supplement, a form of industrial bleach that he and his followers use to treat cancer and HIV. This isn't a debate show, and my aim isn't to win an argument. But when we listen to how people promote and justify the ideas that we disagree with, even the dangerous ones, I think we become much more effective at countering those ideas. If that sounds like something you'd be interested in, look for Be Reasonable on Apple Podcasts and everywhere else the podcasts live. Welcome back to Dimland Radio. Uh, before I uh, uh, continue with the proceedings, we we need to have one of these. And now it's time for a Dimland Radio pedantic moment. Yeah, this ought to be good. Well, we'll see if it's good or not. Uh, I uh, one of my favorite movies is The Hunt for Red October. It's one of the Jack Ryan uh, stories uh, by Tom Clancy, I believe. Um, 
it star the movie stars uh, Sean Connery and Alec Baldwin. Alec Baldwin plays uh, uh, Jack Ryan, and Sean Connery plays Captain Ramius, who is a Russian or Lithuanian, uh, but he he's part of the Russian uh, Navy, the Soviet Navy. Uh, this is before the end of the Cold War, getting close to the end of the Cold War, but before. And uh, he is the captain of this new nuclear sub that uh, has a caterpillar drive that makes it very quiet in the ocean, almost impossible to find. And, um, yeah, it's uh, <laughs> I just really like the movie. I like how it's put together. It's directed by McTiernan. Can't remember his first name. John McTiernan? Anyway, uh, really well done. Sean Connery has the Scottish accent <laughs> as a Lithuanian Soviet uh, captain for this thing, but, you know, what are you going to do? And and it does have that moment where Alec, Gil Alec Baldwin, I know I've mentioned this before, Alec Baldwin, young, leading man, good-looking Alec Baldwin, thin, chiseled, you know, luxuriously black hair, I think they dyed it, but, you know. And just, you know, looking fantastic in a big sweater. Really good-looking Alec Baldwin. Yeah, he plays Jack Ryan. He lives in London, apparently, but he works for the CIA. He writes books for the CIA. He flies over to Washington because of this, getting information about this submarine, the Red October, that's what it's called, and with this caterpillar drive, but he doesn't know what that is at that point. But he knows that this is something's up with this thing, and it's got to figure it out. He flies over to Washington D.C. Washington D.C. He meets with some, you know, national security guy, uh, Admiral something, uh, Admiral Greer, played by James Earl Jones. Uh, you know, walks into uh, the office. James Earl Jones sees him, or the character sees him. He says, "He says, you know, Jack boy." He says, "Jesus, you look like hell." <laughs> really? He looks like Alec Baldwin. If that's looking like hell, <laughs> come on. He's, he doesn't even look tired. He's supposed to look tired because he, when did you get some sleep? Well, it's, I don't know. I might watch it still on London time. Whatever. But that's not my pedantic moment, although I do get pedantic about that. I know I've mentioned it before on the show, but I've watched this movie. It's one of my favorites. I've watched it at least a dozen times, probably more. And I watched it again last night. And something struck me. There's a line that's said by the captain of an American submarine. This fellow is played by uh, Scott Glenn. Uh, he's uh, Captain uh, Mancuso. And uh, without getting all telling you the whole damn story, but somehow through the movie, Jack Ryan ends up on the submarine that is captained by Scott Glenn's character, and he's trying to convince uh, Jack Ryan. Uh, character. It's trying to convince Captain Mancuso that that the Captain Ramius, that's uh, Connery's character, is trying to defect. You know, uh, uh, Mancuso's got the orders to destroy that submarine. Uh, you know, but Ryan believes he's trying to defect. He says we got to communicate with him. He's trying to talk him into it, right? So he does manage to talk him into it. They and then they go over and they. They use this little mini-sub kind of thing. It's a rescue thing that can hook up to almost any other kind of submarine so they can get in to it. So it hooks up over the top, over the hatch, and then they 
push out all the water and then you can climb into that other submarine. So they do that. They they hook up to the to the to the Red October and and they and and they get in there to go talk to Captain Ramius. But as they're uh, getting on board that uh, little rescue submarine thing, Captain Mancuso says something. He's he's you know Jack Ryan works for the CIA at the Central Intelligence Agency. And I recorded this, hopefully it doesn't play too weirdly for you, but I recorded this from the show. He's cap the captain of the uh, the American captain of the submarine known as the uh, as the Dallas uh, or as Dallas. It, he says he says this. Central Intelligence Agency. Uh, there's a contradiction in terms. And if you didn't catch it, or if it was too, if it blew you out, I'm sorry. But it, it, what he he says is Central Intelligence Agency. Well, there's a contradiction in terms. And I, for the, I've watched it. Like I said, I've watched it at least a dozen times. And for the first time, it hit me, and I said, "What does that mean?" I mean, I know what contradiction in terms means. I know what that means. Central Intelligence Agency. How is that a contradiction in terms? How does this, this in, intelligence can't be centralized? Intelligence is only decentralized. It's how what it, it, uh, intelligence can't be part of an agency. The agency can't be central. What I, I that, that, you know, how how is this a contradiction in terms? <laughs> I said I scratched my head. I mean. It's it's a variation on the joke, which is which can be looked at as a contradiction in terms, and that is military intelligence. That's the joke. That's the joke I've heard for years and years. Military intelligence. There's a contradiction in terms. You know, it's the military. They're all a bunch of bumbling dunderheads. What does intelligence have to do with them? You know, there's yeah, okay, but central intelligence agency. How is that a contradiction in terms? That don't make no sense. Done work. Didn't make no sense for me. So yeah, <laughs> so I'm pedantic about that. It's a good movie though. It's a really good movie. Um, I I really enjoy it. I, I I've heard people knock on the special effects, and, it, and a couple of them are not as as great. But it's a it's a darn good movie. I think. Um, let's see. Let's move on. Let's. I've got a Dimland Radio Science Hero. Actually, I have three of them to name. For this show, and they are, uh, they are former presidents of the United States, not the band. Uh, Barack Obama, George W. Bush, and Bill Clinton. Uh, this is from CNN. I'll link to it on the show notes. You can get to that by going to dimland.com. Click on the show notes when you get there. You'll get to the show notes. Former presidents Barack Obama. George W. Bush and Bill Clinton are volunteering to get their COVID-19 vaccines on camera to promote public confidence in the vaccine safety once the U.S. Food and Drug Administration authorizes one. The three most recent former presidents hope an awareness campaign to promote confidence in its safety and effectiveness would be a powerful message as American public health officials try to convince the public to take the vaccine. Freddie Ford, Bush's uh, chief of staff told CNN that the 43rd president had reached out to Dr. Fauci, 
uh, the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases and the nation's top infectious disease expert, and De Dr. Deborah Burks, the White House Coronavirus Response Coordinator, to see how he could help promote the vaccine. After a few, let's see, a few weeks ago, President Bush asked me to let Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks know that when the time is right, he wants to do what he can to help encourage his fellow citizens to get vaccinated, Ford told CNN. Uh, first, the vaccine needed to be deemed safe and administered to the pri uh, to priority populations. Then, President Bush uh, would uh, um, uh, will get in line for his and will gladly do so on camera. Clinton's, Bill Clinton, uh, his uh, press secretary told CNN on Wednesday that he too would be willing to take the vaccine in public setting in order, uh, in a public setting in order to promote it. Uh, and Obama, let me get to it, in an interview with Sirius XM host Joe Madison, scheduled to air Thursday, which I guess was last, was yesterday, as I record the show on Friday, the uh, December 4th, uh, that if Fauci said a coronavirus uh, vaccine is safe, he believes him. People like Anthony Fauci, who I know and I've worked with, I trust completely, Obama said. So if Anthony Fauci tells me this vaccine is safe and can vaccinate, you know, immunize you to get uh, from getting COVID, absolutely, I'm going to take it. Uh, they do talk about here about uh, in a statement former President Jimmy Carter's foundation said that he and his wife support vaccine efforts. Uh, former U.S. President Jimmy Carter and his wife Rosalind said today that they are in full support of COVID-19 vaccine efforts and encourage everyone who is eligible to get immunized as soon as it becomes available in their communities, said the Carter Center in a tweet. Now, uh, they, don't, they didn't respond to whether or not the president would do so publicly, uh, Jimmy Carter, but he is up there in age. I think he's in his 90s, so his health, might, you know, his health might not be great, so maybe public appearances is not something that's happening these days. But uh, these three fellows, at least for this, because W and his stance on, uh, on, on evolution and stem cells... Yeah, puts him in the zero category. But at least on this, I'm going to call these three fellows Dimland Radio Science Heroes. And to be fair, had Fearless Loser won the election, which he didn't, he didn't, he really didn't. He really didn't win it. He's not, he, he's not going to be president. It hasn't been stolen. The courts where the level of evidence has to re meet a much higher threshold than what has been presented to the public. The, the cases have been lost in court. It's, it's like 40 cases or something like that. And most all of them have been, have been lost or dismissed or dropped because they can't offer any evidence that there's been widespread fraud that has stolen the election from the president, and yet didn't steal it from the House from the Republicans, or the Senate from the Republicans, at least not yet. It's a runoff. And it didn't, you know, uh, you know and, it, and it didn't keep the Republicans from gaining seats in the House. So, <coughs> this this cheating, ugh, he just, ugh, and it's, ugh, it's just so depressing, uh, being a skeptic and seeing so many people so 
snookered by the uh, by the con man. Excuse me, I'm going to take a little sip here. Okay. <clears throat> a little dry throat. It's winter. That happens. Hopefully I'm not dying of the COVID. No, what time have I got here? Okay. Um, <clears throat> I have another little rant to end the show with. You know that I, I, if I haven't said it in a while, last week I did talk about the Star Wars thing. I did talk about somebody critiquing The Force Awakens in a three-part total of almost nine hours. It's like a master class. And I don't know if the guy doesn't like the movie, but from what I gathered at the beginning of it, it doesn't sound like he likes it. I, I I maintain a, this position that there is no worse movie fan in the history of cinema than the Star Wars movie fan. Some of them are fantastic fans. Some of them are like me. <clears throat> I don't know. I, I don't know. Am I fantastic? But the the, the there's there's no fan. That hates the movies they love, they claim to love as much as a Star Wars fan. They just absolutely hate it. I, I was watching some stuff about reactions to the the you know why people were wrong about last the Last Jedi, why they're wrong about the sequels or something. And one of the uh, things I was watching on YouTube, one YouTuber was saying that he went into each movie as fresh as he could. He didn't read any of the. Uh, uh, any of the predictions made by fans. He didn't watch any videos. Anything. He just he went in as fresh as possible. He didn't want to go into any kind of oh any kind of theories rolling around his head as to what's going to happen. He just went in and he let the movie tell him the story. And you know, and as far as and there are other uh, cinema fans. Uh, there are fans out there that are fans of, uh, let's say, for instance, the classic universal horror movies, of which I am one. Now, I don't like all of the movies. Some of them are not, you know... I mean, Bride of Frankenstein is just two notches away from being a straight-up comedy. It's not a horror film. It's camp. And I have my problems with that. I do not think it is better than, you know, better than, better than Frankenstein. There's, it's often said that it's better. It's the sequel that that outdoes the original. But no, not for me. It's not a horror movie. I have to be in this frame of mind that it can accept the camp of that movie to be able to watch it. And I can't always do it because it just gets so annoying. But I, you know, I don't claim that Bride of Frankenstein ruined my grandparents' childhood. <laughs> It destroyed my grandparents' childhood. They watched Frankenstein, and then this thing comes along. No. There are fans of the universal horror films, the classics, the old, the 1930s, into the 40s, into the 50s. There are fans of those movies that understand that the movies can be silly, that there's some are lesser than the others, some are better than others, some have, you know, but they're, they're you know, they have their... They have their place in cinema, and they love them even with the flaws. And they might be like me, where they say, "Well, I don't particularly care for that one, but this one's great, and that one's the one." But I like the overall idea, and they're just grab some popcorn, turn off your brain, and watch it. 
that's what the Star Wars movies are supposed to be. And when Force Awakens came out, at first, the fans all thought it was great. But then they start thinking about it and say, hey, now it's pretty much just Star Wars again. And a little bit of Empire Strikes Back in it. Then we just have the Star again. It destroyed my childhood! They started doing that. And I was just watching the, uh, the live stream uh, well, I was watching the the delayed. You know, I didn't. I couldn't watch the live stream part of it because I didn't have time. But once it was over and posted, of the Skeptics Guide to the Universe, they do a live stream thing on Friday nights. So I watched it when it was done. And <clears throat> the, the the SGU guys, they're all fans of Star Wars, but they border on that kind of fan. They do. They all think that. Parts 7, 8, and 9, Last Jedi... Oh, I'm sorry. The Force Awakens, The Last Jedi, The Rise of Skywalker, they think they're horrible. Steve Novella, the host of the show, said they're horrible. And the other guys all nodded their heads. Jay Novella was saying that, you know, the prequels weren't great, but they had their good moments. But these other... I, it's like, okay, now I'm not a big fan of the prequels. Um... I, they didn't destroy my childhood. Uh, I just think they're cold. And I think that uh, they rely too much on green screen and computer effects and not enough practical. It doesn't have the same feel. It's, there's something wrong. But the, the, the sequels have the feel. It's, it works for me. So I was watching these guys. <clears throat> now, and, well, listen to Jay. He's talking about the... Uh, the series that's on Disney Plus, The Mandalorian, which they love, which I think is great. I haven't seen it, but and I, I will if it's available on DVD, maybe, or maybe we'll get Disney Plus. Or so. I, I, I haven't seen it, but <clears throat> this is what Jay has to say about it. And keep in mind the uh, the general reaction by the the horrible fans of Star Wars. To Force Awakens. I mean, just a retread of the. It's just Star Wars again. It's just Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back again. It's just how my childhood's been destroyed! Okay, I remember that. Just think of that when you're listening to what Jay says here. Oops, get over there. They steeped it in the, science, the Star Wars mythology, which is really missing from movies 7, 8, and 9. Oh, yeah. This, this, the Mandalorian reeks of Star Wars. It has Star Wars. You know, I mean, I know it's weird to say that because it is Star Wars, but we've seen Star Wars movies that don't seem, or don't really hit it. This hits it so, so perfectly well. Just from little details like having the Stormtroopers, I think it was episode two of this season, say something identical to Stormtroopers that said something in Star Wars movie five. They literally, like, you know, like, he's just bringing up things that we recognize so deeply. So it's a smart, very, very smart storytelling, and, and the visuals are, are amazing. Okay, so having Stormtroopers say the same things that they said in Empire Strikes Back is amazing and just so steeped in Star Wars mythology, but... <laughs> but... Force Awakens is just Star Wars again, and Empire Strikes again. I, you know, I don't know if the SGU have that mindset about Force Awakens, but I, what? I don't, I don't get it. 
There's there's no worse movie fan than a Star Wars movie fan. I'm sorry. There's none. No worse ever. There's just just get your bucket of popcorn, soda pop, sit down, watch the movie, turn off your brain and enjoy it. Oh, for Christ's sake. Good night, Frau Doctor. Good night, Frau Blucher. Anyway, uh, you've been listening to Dimland Radio. I got to end another show. Be skeptical. Uh, extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. Uh, uh, wear a mask. Wash your hands. Be patient. Stay safe. Stay away from people. Stay home for the holidays. And this is Jim, Dr. Dim. Uh, Fitzsimmons, your host of uh, Dimland Radio on the Z-Talk Radio Network, reminding you to sleep with the lights off. You can check out my show notes at dimland.com. Just click on the blog option, and you can email your questions and comments to drdim at dimland.com. That's D-R-D-I-M at dimland.com. And the opening theme song, Ram, is by Theolius and is used with permission. Production of the Z Talk Radio Network. And now, a message to our competitors. Thanks. Thanks for tuning us in. Well, I'm going to hell.